couple weeks. I haven't decided for sure. Um, on Wednesday nights, we're just starting Ezekiel as we go through the Bible. So I've been thinking maybe on Sunday mornings we'll do the book of Daniel. Um, either that or go into 2 Corinthians. I haven't decided. I'll let you know by next week. But one of those books. But we still have a couple weeks in 1 Corinthians. It's been a great trip through this book of 1 Corinthians. And this book, Paul wrote to the church in Corinth and they had a sort of unique set of problems in Corinth. From all outward appearances, they had it made. They were a prosperous, wealthy church. They were endowed with many gifts. They had great gifted people who were there, surrounded by some awesome teachers. And in every way, they had what you'd think a church would need to have to be a success. And yet, they were plagued with something that we often don't think of as a plague. They were plagued with prosperity. See, a church that's going through persecution and hard times will often be the healthier kind of a church because tough times will tend to purify you. It, it clears out the rabble. It causes people to cause uh, just to focus on what matters. It kind of gets rid of the people who aren't really into it. And so often the healthiest churches are the ones who are going through difficult times. The churches who sometimes have the greatest problems, as in Corinth, are those churches where the people are really wealthy and blessed and talented and gifted, and they have all the programs and all the processes and all the facilities and everything, and yet beneath the surface of that often lies a series of problems, and that was the case in Corinth. Their pride, their self-centeredness, their competition among who had the better pastor. They're, they're, they were victims of their own success in a way. Communion had become a big party to celebrate who had what. And the gifts became things that were all about me and how glorious I am, an opportunity for people who were gifted by God to perform, to have a, an audience and a stage. Paul addresses so many of these issues with them. And as we've gone through the book, we saw him as he built up to that section on spiritual gifts where he explains that we need each other, we need to fit together. And then as we've gone the last several weeks through the 15th chapter, he, he focused on the resurrection. And the reason he did that is because it's, a, it's the biggest part of the gospel, the good news, the fact that we get out of here. The fact that what's going on down here isn't going to last. It'll one day be planted and deteriorate and result in an eternity with God. And a, a call from Paul really to stop focusing on things that don't last. But understand that there are things that we can do down here that will matter for eternity. And that should be the, the cry of our heart really to have eternal significance, not to be so focused on what we have down here. And so now as we come to chapter 16, he's sort of wrapping up his letter to them. Most of the serious doctrinal stuff is now out of the way. He's laid a great foundation. But here in chapter 16, in kind of his closing comments, as we will see today and, and next Sunday as we finish the book, he, he calls them to look outside themselves. It's really an appeal to outreach. 
He wants them to understand the church is not just your group of people there in Corinth. Yes, I'm impressed with you at all you have, but the church is bigger than just you and your friends. The church is bigger than just those immediately around you. And he calls them here in the 16th chapter to look beyond themselves and to understand that the body of Christ is, is, is large. Now, he begins to address a request for funds for the church in Jerusalem. The church in Jerusalem was, in contrast with the church in Corinth, they were really poor and really hard up. There were several reasons why they were poor. Remember, on the day of Pentecost, all these people came to the Lord. 3,000 people were converted in one day from all different countries. They had been in Jerusalem, most of them on business, but now here they heard the gospel, and many of them stayed, but they didn't have jobs. They didn't even speak the language, and so it was tough for them, and that partly led to some of the poverty there in Jerusalem. But also, as you read through the book of Acts, you see that the church in Jerusalem got all excited about being one in Christ, and, and so they began to experiment with communism. They decided, hey, let's just pool all of our resources, and then we'll just all share with everyone and, and have everything in common. Well, that experiment in communism didn't work very well, as it never has ever in the history of the world. Um, in their case, right away, you had a couple Ananias and Sapphira, who claimed they were giving all the money from selling land, but actually they were holding some of it back. And as a result, they were slain in the Spirit right there. They were both killed because of lying to the Holy Spirit. That was a rough start to their little communal sort of way of living. But what happens when you try to do communism? God hasn't set us up to work that way and to live that way, really. It's a wonderful ideal. It's a real warm and cozy idea. But the truth is, if everyone pools all of our resources, it ends up being disastrous for everyone as it was for them. Because people who are gifted in business, for instance, well, now their resources are gone. They can no longer provide employment for other people. They can no longer invest in a way that's productive. And, and so everyone just puts all their stuff together. Now you're not using the gifts that God has given you. You're not feeling that fulfillment. And even that drive and that competitiveness within us that drives us to continue to, to work hard, and a lot of the incentive is taken away. And so basically the church in Jerusalem, and then to add to that, besides the fact that they had an influx of new believers who were, who were um, you know, undocumented workers, if you will, and on top of that, this little hippie experiment, and, and then also persecution was beginning to happen there in Jerusalem as, as the, uh, first of all, even before the Romans started persecuting them, the Jews were persecuting the Christians and blaming them for problems and were hard on them. And so as a result, this was a church that was really poor. And so Paul, in going around to the various churches, he never lectured the people in, in Jerusalem you know, and told them, you know, this is your fault, you brought this on yourself, now live with it. He doesn't deal with the issues as to how they got there, but he only encourages the rest of the church to reach out and to help them, to, 
to take up a collection and to make a contribution to those Christians who were there in Jerusalem. And so here we see, and later on in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, the entire chapter is kind of devoted to this. The Corinthians apparently didn't respond quite like they should have. But he says now, verse 1, concerning the collection for the saints... As I have given orders to the church of Galatia, I told the churches in Galatia, so also you must do. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. And when I come, whomever you approve by your letters, I will send to bear your gift to Jerusalem. But if it's fitting that I go also, they will go with me. So, Paul says, I talked to you about wanting to help out this church in Jerusalem. Now, here's what you need to do. Each of you needs to just start putting something aside as God has prospered you, as you've been blessed. And then on Sunday when you come to church, and by the way, this is one of the indications that they would assemble on Sunday instead of on the Sabbath, um, the church, early church met on, chose to meet on Sunday because that was the day that Jesus rose from the dead. And so he said, begin to save up what you have, and then when you come together, then lay that aside. Kind of like when you get to the end of your week, if there's money that's left over, put some of it aside so that you can put it together as a church And then when you are able to send it to Jerusalem, you can do it. He said, I don't want a collection taken when I come. I don't want to get up in front of you and beg you to give, give a big emotional appeal and everything, and then you've got to give till it hurts. I want this just to become a way of life for you. Now, for them, they no doubt were contributing to the church. They were used to, you know, growing up in in their society, they understood probably a concept of tithing, whereby even as throughout the Old Testament, 10% of your income was just given to the Lord's work. And so they were probably most of them doing that and feeling like, okay, there, I did my 10% and I'm done. Now, the New Testament never commands anything about a 10%, but you have to understand the Old Testament to see what he's talking about here. In the Old Testament, you had to give 10%. That was like a tax. But then if you wanted to give your offerings, that was something that you would give over and above that. And that would go for the poor. That would go for special other projects and things like that. Now, in the New Testament, never commanded. But the idea is don't just stop your giving with your regular giving. Start thinking about laying something aside. And how should you do that? He said, as you've prospered. Now, really the idea is, okay, at the end of the week, what do you have left over? Well, put some of it aside. Throw it in a little slush fund to be used to express love to people who are without or who don't have much. In this case, reaching out to a church that's across the Mediterranean Sea from you. Now, many of us would say, well, Fortunately, I'm off the hook there because I haven't prospered. At the end of the week, it's all gone. (laughs) So yeah, God, you can have whatever I have at the end of the week, but paid my bills and there's nothing left. And yet, which one of us could say that God hasn't prospered us? 
it'd be kind of embarrassing the way we live and the things that God has done for us if we ever, any of us, acted like, well, there's just nothing extra. If, if you're buying four or $5 cups of coffee, come on, there's something extra. You could skip that cup of coffee or go ahead and have that new one at McDonald's that's cheaper. You know, <laughs> you go eat at Claim Jumper. At the end of the meal, you're totally stuffed. I've never eaten at Claim Jumper whenever I felt like, you know, it was good, but I just didn't have enough. <laughs> you eat it and you're just stuffed until you're sick. And then they bring out that eight-layer mother load and it's like, I think I can cram it in there. Let's... <laughs> Isn't that the way we live our lives? Just seeing how much we can cram in and then we go, yeah, too bad I don't have anything extra. <laughs> you know, if I have something extra, maybe if I have a dog, I'll take it home to him. But, you know, here he's going, you know, God has prospered you. And we all, if we look in the mirror, we, we have to realize, boy, God's been really good to us. He's been so generous to us. We in this country, we in this county certainly, have so much more than almost all of the rest of the world. And what Paul's suggesting is, can you stick a little of that away? Now, he's not at all saying, you need to live on the bare minimum and then don't have anything else to... No, that's not... God makes it clear in his word that he blesses us for our enjoyment. Because he loves us and wants to be generous to us. And so there in First Timothy, when Paul says, talk to the wealthy people and tell them, hey, enjoy what they have. But remind them also to share. Remind them also, you know, to not set their eyes on their wealth and to focus on it. And really, that's consistent with what he's telling these wealthy Corinthians. He's just saying, look, you abound you know, you are prosperous. Now, how about every week putting a little something aside? Why? So that you can express in a tangible way to the children of God who are in other parts of the world that you realize that the body of Christ isn't just our little group here, that the body of Christ is, extends to God's people all over the world. It's not that they could just support the Jerusalem church. Certainly, you know, that's not what he's saying. But a tangible gift, a, an offering, an extension of concern that just says, hey, I'm thinking of you. And in this case, as he says, you know, pick somebody to actually go. You approve the people and they can go and maybe they can go with me to Jerusalem and hand over this gift to the people there in Jerusalem. Now you'd think, wait a minute. Why did they need, and there are people who look at this and say, oh, Paul was so above reproach that he didn't want to handle the money himself, and so they had this check and balance system and everything, and hey, that may have been part of it. But I think more than that, he wanted the Christians there in Corinth who were so prosperous to understand that this is an outreach. This is an opportunity for you to connect with brothers and sisters who you haven't met. And it will mean something if, if one of your people will go personally and deliver the gift and will do this. Because it says so much more than just writing a check or than just, you know, I'll just PayPal it to them and they'll get it and it'll be fine. It's like, no, why don't you pick somebody to represent you 
and actually go and do this. Now, we here in the United States so often lose perspective on what's going on around the world. And we understand, if we look into it a little bit, that there are people in other parts of the world who are suffering for their faith. Many of them who are getting by on almost nothing, starving, and and here, you know, the gospel is going out and they love God and they even have no idea of how we live. And I think Paul here is exhorting us, put a little something aside and think about maybe even going yourself to go and say this. Now, I used to never bother going on like missions trips myself because I felt like, and what can I do over there? I don't speak the language. I'd, what difference am I going to, to make? And, and, and so, so I'll give, but let's just ship the money over there. And I used to be really down on short-term missions trips because I would think we're spending so much money sending our people over there. And I would think we'd be better off just sending the money over there. But here I see this, you know, Paul going, no, get somebody from your group to go personally. Because I think that a human presence even means more. Not only that, when that person from Corinth would go over and see the need, they come back and report on it and it inspires everyone else to to get involved as well. And so I, I think this is really important. I try to get out at least once a year on a missions trip. I don't like to be away from church. I don't really like to be away from home. I really am not, you know, real really appreciative of new and exotic menus, those kinds of things. But I understand that for me to to put myself out of a comfort zone a little bit and to go and do it, when people see that someone from over here loves them enough to go over there, it just means something that you can't quantify in terms of dollars and cents. And where does the money come from? Well, come on, we, we're so prosperous. God has given us such an abundance. And, and I think that the idea here is sometimes, hey, when you go to Claim Jumper and they bring out that, that eight-layer devil's cake or whatever, they, they, how about just going, boy, I could do that and just stick it on my credit card and I wouldn't think of it. But how about I'll just take that $6 or whatever it is and in my head right now that's going in the slush fund. And now if that's something that really would ruin your dinner, um, you, you could do what I do. When I go there, I'll just go ahead and pass up on the salad and I'll put the money for the and then I'll eat the cake. But, no, not really. But throwing a little something aside, how about when, you know, when you're going out to lunch and just think, you know, I'll get something a little cheaper and that's going to save me three bucks and now that three dollars is going into a fund. Just to put it aside so it's there, so that it's not like, oh, I found out about a need. Now, where am I going to get the money? I'll go into debt to do it. No, just get in the habit every week of sticking it aside and making it available. And it's really an enjoyable thing when you do it. One of the things that I do, when I do weddings and when I speak places and stuff like that, and people give me money for it, I always just toss it aside into a drawer. And that's my like slush fund to do things for the Lord when a need comes up or an opportunity, it's, it's a good feeling to 
have that already there. And I don't miss the money. I could spend it on something else, but you don't miss it if you don't think about it. Just stick it aside. And, you know, I know when we go on missions trips, often the missions board will allocate like an extra $500. And whenever we go on the trip, we take $500. And the idea is let's find something cool to do with this $500. And uh, there are other times when I remember one time we were in Thailand and, and, they, and a girl in our church had saved up her money and she had a little over $100 and she said, can you go do something for the orphans in Thailand with this money? And so we're like, yeah, so we have all this change and everything, and we took it over. And with that money, we took all the kids from the orphanage in Chiang Rai, and we took them, we thought we'd take them out for ice cream. Well, we took them, got them on a boat, they went down a river, they went on elephant rides, most of them had never ridden an elephant. We did that, then bought them ice cream, all on like $106 or something like that. And what that says to those kids, they know that there's a church over here and there's somebody over here that's thinking of them and saying, hey, I want you to have a fun day. I want you to be blessed in this way. When we take money somewhere, it's like burning a hole in our pocket. We're like, oh man, what am I gonna do with it? It's the, it's the greatest feeling that you get since you were a kid and you got money and you were like, oh, what am I gonna do with this? I remember I had an uncle, he was actually my mom's uncle, and we thought he was really rich because every time there was a family get-together, he'd pull out a wad of $1 bills and give everyone a dollar. And, you know, nowadays with kids in our society, if you start pulling out $1 bills, they're like, what's this? You know, what am I going to do with that? But, you know, there are places in the world where somebody could eat for a week on less than a dollar. And... It's our opportunity to do that. And, I, and, and what Paul is saying, and it's not just for the Jerusalem church, because the truth is, the way those people handled their money, after it's gone, they're probably still trying to be hippies and, and still not getting their act together. As much as anything, it's for the Corinthians themselves to realize that it's a good feeling to let go of some of what I, I could have spent it and I wouldn't have even thought about it. But instead, what I have, I stuck it aside and it could say, God loves you to someone who, you know, isn't gonna hear that otherwise. And that's why we get excited when we have those opportunities. And so, as we've had several occasions where people from our church could go over and help put a well in a village that changes the lives of hundreds of people there in some little dark part of the world. And everyone who gets water from that well knows this came from somebody who loves Jesus and who wanted to say that they love us. And if you ever go on a trip like that, then no one will ever have to remind you to do it. It's a radical opportunity to make a, a lasting difference. And so that's what Paul is telling them. You guys are so, you have so much, you're so turned into yourselves. Why don't you extend your vision of who the church is? And why don't you look for opportunities? And, and maybe you can even, we all can't go, but we can all send, we can all encourage others to go. We can say, hey, here's an opportunity. Go and represent us and do this. And so, you know, that's what, that's what Paul's saying here. Look outside yourselves. And, and he said, hey, some of you can go with me. He was always taking people with him. We have an opportunity for some of our kids to go over to Wales this summer on a missions trip. 
And, you know, you go, oh, a bunch of kids going to Europe. Big deal. You know, it's like a vacation. Can they do something over there that someone over there can't do? Who knows? But I know this, that there are some kids in Wales who are going to be amazed that a kid from the United States took time off of their summer vacation to just come over and talk to them about Jesus. And I know that our pastor who's over there and his family and other missionaries will just go, it was so nice to have some kids from Orange County to come over and to do this. And if a kid has an opportunity to do that, it can change their life too. And if we as a church can chip in and help them, or for people who go, I can't go to Wales and I'm too old to get in on a youth trip, but just to provide a scholarship for somebody to go or something like that is the spirit of what Paul's saying here. Hey, reach out beyond your borders. Look beyond just who you are. And by the way, that's not a pitch for, oh, please give us some money. God's taking care of it and everything's fine. I'm just saying, Think about that. It's, a, it's, it's something that's really healthy for us and healthy for the body of Christ as a whole. Now he begins to share with them some more in verse five and says, now I'll come to you when I pass through Macedonia, for I am passing through Macedonia, and it may be that I will remain or even spend the winter with you, that you may send me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not wish to see you now on the way, but I hope to stay a while with you if the Lord permits. But I will tarry in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a great and effective door has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. So Paul lays out his plans for the coming months. He says, right now I'm in Ephesus, and things are going really good. God's really opened a door for me. And he said, the way I know that the door is open, there's a lot of enemies. There's a lot of adversity. Whenever you're serving God, you're going to have people who are causing you problems and circumstances that go wrong and health challenges and things like that. Adversity is something that comes with the territory. But Paul goes, I'm excited about the adversity because here I have the opportunity to serve God. So I'm doing that and I enjoy it and I'm probably going to stay here till Pentecost. But he said, I want to visit the churches up in Macedonia, Philippi and some of those cities, and I want to get over and see you guys too. And there were two different ways. If you were in, if you were in Ephesus where Paul was, you could head north and go over to Macedonia and then come down to Corinth, or the quickest way to get to Corinth would be to go direct to Corinth and then head up north to go to Philippi and the other churches up in Macedonia. So, but what Paul's saying here is really touching, and I'm sure it meant a lot to the Corinthians. He goes, hey, I'm going to get over there, and I'm going to get to Macedonia. And he said, I would go to see you guys first, but I really want to spend some quality time with you. So I'm going to go to Macedonia first after I finish what I'm doing here, and then I'm going to come to you so that I can really focus on you and spend time with you. Paul was saying, I love to be with you. I want to give, no, nah, I'm just not trying to take from you. I want to give to you. I want to bless you. I want to just sit down and find out how you're doing. And again, this is another way in which the church can reach out instead of reaching in. Sometimes I think we ought to pray about and think about just going and visiting somebody. Maybe you know somebody who's planted a church 
and you know that they're having a hard time. Some of you, I know Mike Casada. I got to see all the guys, that have, all the pastors that have come out of our church at the pastors' conference this week. But, you know, Mike Casada's up there in Oregon and serving the Lord, and he's planted a little church, and it's going tough. The economy's really rough there in Gold Beach right now. And, and uh, you know, I just think, man, if you're ever thinking about taking a vacation to Oregon, for instance, go spend a few days with them just to go, I just wanted to come and spend time with you and hang out with you. His kids are really active. You won't be able to handle more in a couple days, but, but just, <laughs> but to just go, hey, I'm here. We have missionaries all over the world. There are opportunities. I think there's one in the bulletin about going over to Japan to, to see Julia Chikau and, and help her out this summer on some things. And she's a girl who came out of our church, and now is, she and her husband have a church there in, in Japan. And, you know, unless you've lived in a foreign culture, unless you've been somewhere else, I doubt if we can really appreciate and understand how much it would mean for someone to come and see us. Again, I used to just poo-poo the whole idea of, oh, going and, you know, it's just a junket. Because I would think, who wants to see me? Who wants me to come and spend some time with them? I mean, if really all I have to offer is in those CDs and MP3s. So here, listen for free. But I've realized from from traveling a little bit. And again, I limit my travels because, you know, I really feel my first calling is to minister to you and equip you and to send you out. But when I've gone to another country and spent time with them, I'm just frankly amazed. They appreciate me probably more than you do because they don't get me all the time. I'm a celebrity over there. And it just, and you would be too. They would just go, well, you're here? I can't believe you showed up in the Ukraine. You're here. I, I can't believe that you came to, to Africa or to El Salvador or to Guatemala or wherever. It means so much. And Paul understood that. And so he was traveling back to the places he had been before and said, I really just want to spend some time with you. Now, in the foyer, we have cards on all of our missionaries. And and if you've never met any of them, you could start emailing them and reading what they have to say and getting their correspondence, and you can strike up a real personal friendship with them. And then you have no idea what it would mean if, for your next vacation, you just happened to vacation somewhere near where one of our missionaries are, and you just went and spent a couple days with them, brought them some stuff from here that they don't have over there. And it just... It's a way of saying the church spreads around the world. The church isn't just us. It's not just here. You know, if we wanted to, we could pool. I could appeal to you every week and, and beg you to give more money and spend less and lay guilt trips on you, and we could pile up a bunch of money, and we could build a massive cathedral here, and we could do all sorts of cool things for ourselves. and buy. But, you know, Ultimately, where does that end and what good does it do? You know, we do have to take care of ourselves here and we do that and God has provided for us very well. But do we understand that each of us has an opportunity to really be significant for someone else by just showing up and being there for them and spending some time with them? Now he goes on and he says, if Timothy comes, verse 10, 
See that he may be with you without fear, for he does the work of the Lord as I also do. Therefore, let no one despise him, but send him on his journey in peace, that he may come to me, for I am waiting for him with the brethren. And so he says, there's a young guy, Timothy. He's traveling around, learning to be a pastor, reaching out and doing missions work. You get the idea that Timothy still wasn't really polished. He's a young guy, a little awkward in his presentation. And Paul had told Timothy in his letter to Timothy, don't let anybody despise your youth, but be an example of the believers. And now he's telling them, look, don't despise Timothy's youth. Understand, when he comes to you, you have a chance to support him, to pour yourself into him, to encourage him and send him on his way. He's doing what I do, and he's going to be doing it a lot longer than I can do it. And what I see here is that God would have all of us just to reach out to the young people around us who desire to serve the Lord. And if sometimes I have somebody speak and you're like, eh, they're not as good, or you know, can't you just hire a celebrity to come in and teach when you're not here? And no, um, nothing against that. I'm not knocking anybody who does that, but, but we're a church. The idea should be we want our young people to grow up and thrive and reach out and minister and make a difference. We want to train them. We want to encourage them to go on missions trips. We want to encourage them in their efforts. You know, yeah, they're young. They're going to make a lot of mistakes. They're going to do some goofy things. But it's as much of a blessing for us to bless our young people and to encourage them to go out. It's actually better than even for us to do it. How excited I get when I hear of young people who have a heart to serve God. There's nothing better. There's nothing more exciting because pouring ourselves into them and encouraging them means that God's work will go on through them. Outreach will continue long after we are gone. So every opportunity that we have, we want to encourage and to mentor those who are young, as they were telling Timothy. Yeah, reach out, go out, send out, but also look for those young people that you can encourage. For some of us, hey, we're doing the best we can and we're serving the Lord, but you know our time is limited. People who are younger than we are have a lot more time. We need to be finding, identifying those and, and encouraging them along the way, not stifling them, not quenching the spirit in their lives. When we see youth doing things, often it'll be in a way that we don't approve of. We don't know about the looks that they have. You know, some of them are getting tattooed or you know, they're listening to crazy music or they have wild ideas of ministry and whatever. Hey, bless them. Don't treat them disrespectfully. If they are trying to do what we are trying to do, then more power to them. I'm thankful for them, and we want to be supportive of them in any way that we can. And then he goes on, and finally in verse 12, and he says, Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to come to you with the brethren, but he was quite unwilling to come at this time. However, he will come when he has a convenient time. Apollos had ministered there in Corinth before, and in fact, he was a guy that earlier in the book, Paul was saying, some of you guys are Apollos seekers, and some of you are Paul seekers, and some of you are Peter seekers. It's like, oh, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas. So Apollos had been a part of some division, but through no fault of his own. As a result, 
there are some commentators who tell us there were indications that Apollos deliberately didn't want to go back to Corinth because he knew that he had been a lightning rod for some division and controversy. And so he just figured it was easier to stay away. But Paul, who was on another side of that, was going, hey, go back, go back. See, Paul wanted to continue to support Apollos' ministry. But Apollos, Apollos ended up later going back to Corinth. But he was hesitant about it. But what I see in this also is something that's so important to mention in all of this that we are talking about. And that is, Paul didn't push or shove or insist or order or command people to do anything. He goes, man, I think you ought to do it. And he encouraged them. But if they didn't want to do it, like Apollos didn't, it's like, yeah, he'll get around to it whenever. And I don't want anyone here to feel like I'm just going, come on. If you go to Claim Jumper today, no chocolate cake, 475 goes in the pot. No, if God speaks to your heart, if he has prospered you and as a result you, you want to give something or you want to do something, you want to plan a trip, you want to just reach out to some missionaries or you want to, then that's awesome. But God will not disgrace himself by begging for help. And it's never the idea that, oh, poor God, He's so broke, we need to chip in, bail him out of the mess that his love got him into. That's not the idea at all. If you don't take an opportunity to reach out, somebody else will have the opportunity and it'll happen and God's love will be spread. It's not, this isn't something to be pressured. That's why Paul said, don't go taking an offering while I'm there. That's embarrassing, humiliating to God. That's not what this is about. The New Testament teaches us that God will bless us if we give. What you sow, you'll reap. That's a principle. But at the same time, Jesus said, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Don't give grudgingly, Paul said, or of a necessity. God loves a cheerful giver. So again, Paul is just letting us know, look, I'm not forcing this down your throat. Don't, don't go out of here all, oh, he's making us feel guilty again. Now I can't have that cake. No, go ahead and have your cake. It's okay. God loves you and he wants to bless you. And, but the idea is he's going, there's an opportunity to do something with a little bit of what you have, with a little bit of your time or your energy or your, or your finances. You can make a difference for eternity. If you want to do it, do it. You'll love it. If you do it, if you share in this way, you're going to feel so good about setting it aside, setting vacation time aside, time aside, money aside, whatever, and reaching out with God's love. It's going to be great, but, but don't feel like he needs it. Don't feel like, you know, oh, all guilty if you don't do it. It's an opportunity, that's all. If you want to take the opportunity, you'll be blessed. If not, enjoy your cake. It's really okay. It's fine. It'll be all right. And so he's going, I don't push this on anybody. I'm just expressing to you. This is kind of the deal. You will be much better off if you will reach out, if you will look beyond. In eternity, yeah, it'll make a difference. You get to heaven, somebody comes up to you, and they go, are you from Pacific Hills? You go, yeah. And they go, our village had a well because you guys gave it to us. And it was at that well that somebody taught me about living water and I accepted Jesus and that's why I'm in heaven. And you're not gonna go, 
Oh, that's cool, but man, another piece of that chocolate cake sure would have been good. <laughs> that's all I'm talking about, just an opportunity to take the blessings that God has given us and, and just look out, see what we can do with them, see how we can bless. I was talking to a gal after first service, and she said, you know, I love God, but I don't know what my gifts are. And people are always telling me, you know, that, you know, what's your gift? And I go, I don't know. And they go, you've got to find your gift. And I go, well, tell me about something that you'd, you've done that makes you really happy. And she said, well, you know, the other day I was in L.A. and I saw a girl and the guy that was in the car with her was really being mean to her at a gas station. And she had a little baby and they looked really poor and looked like they were having a hard time. And I went over and I just started talking to her and the guy was kind of eyeballing me. And I was just thinking, man, I'd love to give her $20, but I don't know what, you know, they're going to do with the money and he'll probably take it from her. And she said, you know, finally I just waited till the guy wasn't looking and I took $20 and I, she goes, actually what she said was she goes, she goes, do you have a cigarette? And she doesn't even smoke. But the gal rolled the window down enough that then she goes, here, I think Jesus wants me to give this to you and gave the girl $20 and she tucked it in and hid it and said, thank you. And she goes, I just felt so good when I did that. And I said, that's a gift of giving. That's something that you did to the Lord. And I said, there are a lot of people who would never give money to somebody they see on the street because they think, oh, what would they do with it? But is that how God treats us? Look at what we do with what he gives us. Come on. It's about sharing his love. It's about saying, I care. And that's what each of us really will be better off, will be wealthier in every way if we can discover how, you know what, I can look outside myself. I can stretch myself a bit. You know, maybe people here don't appreciate me, but if I go somewhere else sometimes, they will. They're amazed to meet an American. They're amazed to meet somebody that cares enough about me to reach out to me. And that isn't a guilt trip or an obligation or we've got to do this and I'm not starting a big program to get us to do it. It's just an opportunity to be a blessing and to bless others. And that's the heart of Paul as he exhorts this wealthy church, hey, reach out. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the way you reached out to us. Out of the wealth of heaven, you traveled all the way down here, connected with us, spent time with us, and, and you want to dwell with us forever. Lord, help us to learn to be hospitable. Help us to learn to share. Help us to learn the blessings of reaching out. Lord, you have been good to us and we confess that. You've prospered us. Help us to look for opportunities to make that count for eternity and not just for lunch. God, we thank you for your love for us, the opportunities you give us to love others. In Jesus' name, amen.